a little bit with the uh, healing of the guy with the crippled hand. So I had already like prayed and like gone over that so much and been studying it. So my fault, I had less time to prepare for this than, than before, which I think that's okay with God. I think he had something in that. And then number two, um, I spent a lot of time yesterday preparing and I spent a lot of time typing things out and erasing them and typing them out and erasing them. And I felt like I was writing a school paper yesterday. And that was a little bit stressful for me. Um, I really enjoy studying scripture and seeing what God has for me. And I'll go down some rabbit holes and I'll look at stuff. Uh, but I, I kept, I, I don't know. It, it was, yesterday was a little bit tough for me. And then last night, Emmeline got sick. And you guys know with a sick child, sometimes things can be rather dramatic. So last night was interrupted. So I was like, that's okay. I'll get up early in the morning and I'll look at it. Well, I got up in the morning, started making coffee, and Kara said, I've gotten zero sleep last night. Neither has Emmeline. I'm going to lay down. So then I had to sit with Emmeline while we were still having some dramatic um, sick feelings. So my prep time this morning got cut really short. And I was a little aggravated about it first, and then God was like, like, really? I'm like, I got this. So I trust this morning that God has something for us. We'll see what that is. <laughs> God's been speaking to me all week, so, so uh, I I'd absolutely trust that what he's given me, even though my prep time was cut and uh, I was a little stressed, is going to be okay. So let's pray real quick before we get started. God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your plan. God, thank you for being the same at the beginning of time and at the end of time and today. And thank you for continuing to do what you do and speak to us and go before us when you call us. Um, God, thank you for loving us and being here with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, before we get to today's scripture, I'm going to give point number one and we're going to recap a little bit. Okay, so point number one this morning is Jesus brings his kingdom. So if you guys remember a long time ago when we started Luke, um, whenever I introduced us to Luke, we watched a Bible project video. And in that video, they kind of broke up the, the segments of Luke. You know, we talked about why Luke wrote his gospel, um, why he was concerned with who Jesus was, and really wanting to find out the truth about who Jesus was on earth and what his mission was. So we're in the section where they talked about Jesus telling us who he is and what his mission is. There's a little bit where we go through the birth and John and Jesus' baptism and the temptation, and now we have Jesus' ministry. So this is where Luke is really diving into the things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said, who he is and what his mission was. So that's where we are. So they point out in that video when we go through the genealogy that Jesus is the messianic king, promised to King David. He is also the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham that Abraham's offspring would bless the nations. All the way back to Abraham, Jesus is now the fulfillment of that. However many thousands of years that was, I'm not carbon dating any of that. So all the way up to Jesus, Jesus is now the fulfillment of that. So he is showing that all those things promised to Abraham are now in light. So that is why Luke is writing this in that way. He's also showing us in this section that um, what Jesus meant when he read from the scroll in Isaiah 61.1, when he sat in the synagogue and, and read that out to him, that he is here to bring good news to the poor, 
not just the financially poor, but the poor in spirit as well, as we'll see next week when Will preaches uh, uh, in the, the Sermon on the Plain. So, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom from the oppressed. Jesus is showing us that that's who he is, that he is the fulfillment of that. He even tells them, in your hearing, that is fulfilled. So Luke is writing, all right, what does that mean? What is, how did Jesus fulfill that? The kingdom that Jesus came to lead is one that is welcoming to outsiders, um, to the outcast, and is vastly different from the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. So Luke is making points here to show that. Jesus is here. If you guys will remember our study in Ecclesiastes so long ago, he is here to flip the world upside down. He's here to flip the religious world on its head and set things right between God and man. All of that hebel, all of that upside downness, Jesus is coming here and saying, this is what it's supposed to look like. So Luke is feverishly writing all that down and making sure that we get those stories so that we know who Jesus is and what his mission was. If we go back, we're not turning just yet to Scripture, but back Luke 4.14, at the end of the temptation, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and he starts on these stories where he teaches, he heals. Uh, Luke tells these stories of how Jesus encounters people. He calls Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, or Levi, you know, same guy. He calls all of these people, and he teaches multitudes, and he heals, and he goes in the synagogues. And I want to make a point really quick about that. Have you guys ever been in a sermon and you felt like the preacher or God was talking directly to you? Man, like we've all experienced that. I feel like at this time, that was, everything Jesus said was like that. No matter how many people were there, I imagine that every word Jesus said, they thought was right to them. In some way, Jesus had that, uh, not magical, but the supernatural ability to see into the hearts of people and say the things that could change their lives, say the things that they, that they needed. So I imagine that Luke is 30 years uh, you know, post the cross, and he's talking to these old guys probably sitting around a campfire, and they're telling stories where their mind was just blown about what they heard Jesus say. And Luke is, again, feverishly writing all this stuff. Now, that's not really how it happened. I know that it's not really how it happened. But I imagine these old guys like going back and forth telling stories and like, he told us to be new wineskins. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and some guys like, I thought his name for the longest time was Harold. You know, like they're just telling all these stories and it's such a life-changing thing for them that 30 years down the road, they can still communicate how awesome it was to be in the presence of Jesus. And Luke is writing it down so that we can know that. Will's pointed out several times that Jesus saw things in people that others couldn't. When he spoke to someone, when he, when he called Peter, whenever he healed the man with the crippled hand, whenever he healed the leper, all of those things, Jesus saw into their heart and saw what they needed. He knew exactly what to say or do that would change their lives. So I'm going to back up a little bit, and I'm not going to re-preach Will's sermon, but I want to talk about that ability of Jesus, because I believe it was the same for the Pharisees as well. It's very easy for us, I know for me in the past, to read these stories of Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees as mic drop moments, like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, boom, and dropping it. But I really feel like now knowing who Jesus is, 
spending my life with Jesus and coming to know him and know that he has this ability to see inside of us and know us and love us anyway, that it was the same for the Pharisees. And these were now pleased for them to change. They were not mic drop moments where he's calling them out. Maybe he's calling them out, but he is also speaking truth and love to them like he's doing for everybody else. So when he asked the Pharisees if it's lawful to, destroy, to save a life or to destroy it, um, he saw what was in their hearts and he knew what was coming next. And that, um, that message to them, he says, you know, is it lawful to heal a man or to, you know, to save life or destroy it? Is, is this good? He knew that in their hearts, at that moment, they were planning to kill him. And he's pleading with their heart to change. Like, please, don't do this. He knows it's coming, but he's speaking that truth to them in love. That mic drop moment we want so often to have our, uh, our Facebook quote and then stop comments or whatever, or that little bit to say and then the conversation's over, Jesus is still saying the same thing to them, knowing that it would probably do no good. So when he reminds them, you know, we get to the story of uh, when they pick the grain and they're, they're so nitpicky about it, he reminds them what David and his men did. Again, he's telling them, like, go, go look in the scriptures. God has always been concerned for the provision of his people, and that's what's happening right now. Like, it's, that's okay, you know? So he's doing that in a loving way. I also, and this was just kind of funny to me, I believe that they did more work on the Sabbath than Jesus did. <laughs> Stakeouts are hard work. <laughs> they, they were planning to catch him at something. And even whenever he healed the guy with the crippled hand, Jesus said, hold out your hand. There was no work he didn't rub, rub him down with a balm and slap him or dance around and burn incense. None of that kind of stuff. He said, hold out your hand. These guys did more work than Jesus did in their accusations. But still, Jesus spoke to them in a loving way to try to get them to see the truth of who he was. All right. So that's our recap. Um, all that pointing to the fact that Jesus is, has brought his kingdom onto earth. So let's get to today's passage. And I was going to have Emmeline read this morning, but she's sick, so there we go. I'll read it. So, we're in Luke chapter 6 still. Um, one day we'll get through Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. And I'm going to read it up here because this is in the ESV, and my, my Bible's a New American Standard. So, I want you guys to get the same thing. So, in these days, so these days right after he had had the uh, encounters with the Pharisees, uh, on the Sabbath, after, just after those. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer. And when he came, or when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles: Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. 
who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them. So, also, confession time. Whenever I realized that I was preaching this section and not the, the healing of the guy with the crippled hand, I was like, man, this is not nearly as exciting as the other one. <laughs> but it is. It is because God uh, did something awesome here. So after those Sabbath encounters, Jesus spent all night in prayer. How many of you have ever spent all night in prayer? Like, that's tough. I'll fall asleep. I'll fall asleep in like 15 minutes of prayer. Like all night, that is, that's tough. But Jesus had a lot to pray about. It doesn't tell us what he prayed about, but we know that he just got through having these encounters with the Pharisees on the Sabbath. I'm sure a lot of his prayer was concerning that, that, God, they've missed it. Like, I'm, 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 you know, I'm trying. They've missed it. He's also about to choose his 12 apostles, which we'll get to the difference in that in just a minute. But he's got this big choice coming up. He also knows that he's about to come down the mountain and there's all these people waiting for him. He's got a lot to pray about. Um, if we're to be disciples of Jesus, we need to be praying. There are times in our life when sharing the truth is going to be met with resistance. We're going to have religious people, non-religious people that are going to tell us, don't pray for me. It's not going to do any good, right? We still need to pray. If we are to be followers of Christ, prayer's got to be part of our life. This hit me pretty hard this week because I pray, but I probably don't pray enough, just to be real honest. Uh, I definitely don't spend all night in prayer. I don't pray for uh, my family as I should. Well, you know what? I'm not going to, we're not guilt and carry up here. So if we are to be followers of Christ, prayer has got to be, it's got to be um, something that we do a lot of. Um, the song this morning, the last one that we sang, Before the Throne, one of my favorite worship songs ever. Um, you put the first verse up there, Anna. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus is still up there praying for us. He is before the throne. He's praying for us. He's praying for those around us. He's praying for people who receive truth poorly. He's, he's, he's praying for our children. Jesus is still up there praying for us. All night was nothing. Right? And he, he's got eternity. So... He is still up there praying for us, and we need to join him in that. So, which call, brings me to point number two. Jesus calls us higher. Um, when Jesus came down from the mountain from praying all night, he chose these 12 men. They were already disciples of his. Disciples means learners. If, you're, if we're kind of talking about the difference here, disciples means learners. Apostles means someone who is sent out. So Jesus designated these 12, he took them apart, not just to be people to sit around him and learn, but to be people that he is preparing to go out. He, these are people that he is preparing to lead other people. Um, he is also calling these people to be close to him. Mark 3.14 tells us that Jesus chose them to be with him. And I, I, I didn't write this, but this hit me whenever I read that in Mark. Like, man, God loves us. Jesus in his short time on earth, here he is, he knows 
the cross is coming. And he prays all night, chooses these 12 men to be close to him until the end. Like these are the men that Jesus wanted with him. He needed that friendship. And I think that that is telling about who God is. Not that God needs us to do certain things for us, but he created us to be with him. He created us to worship him. He wants us to be close with him. And he wants to call us higher. Um, so whenever, sorry, I just skipped a whole bunch. No, I didn't. I didn't skip any of that. Okay. So <laughs> for God to call us higher, for us to be close to God, I, I want to make sure that, that that calling, yes, it's supernatural and it's spiritual and it's awesome and it's something that we have to work on, just like the kid's story. We have to live how God wants us to live, but we do not need a certain amount of wealth, social status, or influence to be called by God. All right? He wants you as you are, brings you to him, or when you accept that, he will make you more like himself. And when he stays close, John 15, 5, one of my favorite scriptures, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. The more we stay close to God, the more time we spend in prayer, the more time, excuse me, just spit, the more time that we are around other believers and really digging into who Jesus is, we will become more and more like him. That's the new wineskins, right? He wants new wineskins. He wants those people to, he wants us to be close to him so that he can pour his Holy Spirit into us like wine and stretch us and make us into who uh, he wants us to be, make us more like him. So he knew that these 12 that he chose, all these guys, he was going to send them out. He's not going to send them out to religious people. He's sending them out to normal, everyday people. He chose normal, everyday guys. I think the only one that we could say that may have had some wealth would have been Matthew because he was a tax collector. Right? That was his life, extorting the Jewish people, getting money. But when Jesus said, follow me, he left all that behind. He didn't hang on to that and say, hey, Jesus, I got all this money. Like, This is, this is how I'm going to serve you. No, he just followed Jesus, and Jesus took care of it. Um, and whenever he comes down with them on the mountain, he prepares them, or he begins to prepare them and sh continues to show them what his kingdom looks like. So I want to point out two of the disciples, which... There's not a lot that they talk about the disciples in this passage, but we know about two of them, Matthew, Levi. Well, I'll just say, if I say Matthew, it's Levi, if you guys don't know that. So, and Simon the Zealot. I want to point out those two, because they're the two, I believe, that really got the idea of the new wineskins. Matthew was a tax collector, like I just said. He extorted the Jewish people. He was a traitor to the Jewish people. Everybody hated him. The Jewish people hated him because... He was getting that money for the Roman government, keeping some back for himself. And we have Simon the Zealot. So this is one of those rabbit holes. I'm not going to dive too much into it because I wasn't there. Again, I didn't carbon date any of these guys. But Simon the Zealot can be read two ways. Either that he was a zealot, which was a group of uh, zealots, people who were really, really uh, fervent in their belief that the Jewish people were God's people, and they were going to stop anything that opposed Jewish people. So they made it their life to kill any Roman that they could or any traitor that they could. So I just told you Matthew was a traitor to the Jewish people. So if Simon was one of those zealots, he and Matthew would not have gotten along. Okay? 
It is an incredible showing of the power of the miraculous work of God that these two men came together and could live in close proximity and be with Jesus and share the gospel. That's work that only Jesus could do. So even if the, the word, however you want to translate it and study that out, if he wasn't one of the zealots, one of those people, the other word is that he was zealous. So he's still zealous for God's word and would not have liked Matthew. Like that still would have been some contention. And that it, those two guys, above any of them, when you read their names, the new wineskin, man, that message was in them. They were allowing Jesus to pour into their life and stretch them. And that, that's how we need to be. If you compare them to the Pharisees that we just talked about, heard the same things, heard the exact same messages, saw the exact same miracles, and responded completely differently. They would not allow those messages to get into them because Jesus was an affront to their ideals, their rules, and everything they had made their life about. I also want to say, before we cast stones at those guys, remember Jesus loved them. And without the hardness of their hearts, Oh, let me back that up. The hardness of their hearts is what pushed Jesus to the cross when he was on earth. So just like Pharaoh in Moses' time, Pharaoh's hardened heart is what allowed the Israelite people to see God's goodness and to see his miraculous power, got to see him do all these things with plagues and part the river and drown their army, all of that stuff just because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And the hardness of the Pharisee's heart more quickly got Jesus to the cross and brought about our salvation. So before we, again, act like it's all mic drop, Jesus still loved them, and they were part of the plan. So let's look back. Um, let's talk some more about the uh, new wineskin here in these 12. So Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm bringing us back to some old vision so, this is not nearly as crazy as Ezekiel or Revelation, but this is a good one. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Sounds familiar. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I said, uh, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And let's look also at Luke 5, 8. This is when Jesus is in the boat with Peter. And he, they pull in the large number of fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And again, Luke 5, 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them. This, I'm sorry, this is Jesus is eating at Matthew Levi's house and the Pharisees are like, well, what are you doing? These people are nasty and gross. So Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Is there more? Is that it? That's it. Okay. That's the new wineskin, guys. Jesus' call is out there. When Jesus called these 12, they accepted. There's no part in here where anybody, any of them, it's not, um, and uh, Zechariah who refused. No, the call is out there. These men took it. It's out there for us. What are we going to do with it? Jesus calls us the response throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is, God, I'm sick. I live among, uh, I have unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. God, I'm a sinner. Please, like, depart from me. Jesus wants that contrition. He wants us to come to him humbly and realize our depravity and come to him and say, Jesus, I need you to fill me. He wants that new wineskin to fill up. Um, so he's going to fill us with his purposes when we allow him. Will sent me two quotes from Dangerous Jesus by KB. I haven't started reading it yet. But Will, I don't know how much he's read or listened to, but he sent me two quotes from here that I want to point out here um, about us heeding God's call. So the first one, Os Guinness, who has written extensively on calling, writes, the problem with Western Christians, that's us, we're in the West, is not that they aren't where they should be, but that they aren't what they should be where they are. So we are where we are. God's placed us here. Are we heeding God's call? Are we allowing him to fill us with his spirit? So the second one is a little bit longer. I would argue that we don't just need more pastors and theologians to teach the true gospel for impact to be felt across the country. I contend that we need more lawyers. We need more doctors. We need more artists. We need more educators. We need more police officers, more bus drivers, more nonprofit workers, more nurses, more entrepreneurs, more senators, more governors, mayors, accountants, authors, directors, screenwriters, and producers, loving their neighbors and actively doing the Lord's work. We need to be sharing the gospel, loving God, and loving others right where we are in the workplaces where God has placed us. So we could add any number of professions to that list. We need more RV park guys. We need more stay-at-home moms. We need more students. All of those things. We need to be allowing God to fill us where we are. All right, so Jesus chooses the 12. He's been praying all night. He chooses them. They come down the mountain to the flat place. And has anybody ever seen any action movie ever produced? There's always the action hero slow walk, right? (laughs) You've got the group of heroes who has had their spat and they separated. And there's this uh, really melancholy part of the movie and everybody's sad and they come back together and then they slow walk into the action with the music or they they got beat in a battle and now they got new suits and they slow walk out with explosions and doves behind them all that kind of stuff my absolute favorite one is from the matrix i won't spoil any of it it's a very short slow walk it's at the very end where neo is on the phone in the phone booth with the matrix with the the robots And he says, you know, I'm not here to tell you how this is going to end. I'm here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to show these people what you don't want to see. A lot of other stuff in there. But he hangs up, slow walks out, and Rage Against the Machine is playing. (laughs) 
We're not going to play that song because there's some stuff that probably shouldn't be said. But great, awesome part. When I used to work out a lot, if that song, Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine, came on, like I would get like five, ten more reps automatically. Such a pump-up song. But there he slow walks out of the, the telephone booth with the song playing. That's how I imagine Jesus and the 12 disciples coming down. You've got the multitude down here on the plane, and they're slow walking with the wind in their hair and robes, and doves are behind them. Rocks might be falling out of the thing. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But it's awesome, right? It's this awesome, awesome time. So point number three, Jesus continues to do what only he can do. So when, you, or when I at least first read this, when he comes down, and it's like, yeah, 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 he's healing people and they got diseases and they're touching him and power's going out. It's almost like it's old hat, right? Jesus has already been doing this. That's because Jesus always does what he's going to do. He continues to do it. He just chose the 12 and he's like, all right, guys, come on. I'm going to show you what you're, what you're going to be doing. And he does this for him. When we accept God's call in our lives, we get to be a part of his miraculous work. Wherever we are, wherever we are, Jesus is working. We need to be praying, staying in contact with him so we can see it and join him. All the people who came to Jesus in this story were expecting something of Jesus. They had heard things about Jesus. They heard what he could do. They wanted a miracle in their lives. People where we are, including us, have some expectation of Jesus and they have some expectation of us as believers. So what are we going to do with those expectations? Most of those expectations are probably not good. Um, how, how are we going to handle This is just stuff for us to, to think about. If you got one of the things, I have some life group discussion topics if, you're, if you guys want to do that. But we have expectations too. What are those expectations? Do you guys expect other believers to act a certain way? To say certain things? Sure. I'm not saying all those are bad. But we need to, to temper those with the Spirit of God. We need to let Him come in and one, let our expectations be whatever He tells us they need to be. And two, let Him take care of expectations of other people. Will said last week, which whenever I was prepping the sermon that Will preached last week, my last point was his last point. We have no control over the response of other people. The only thing we can control is our response. And the only thing we need to respond to is the call of Jesus and what he tells us to do. Um, we can obey. That's what we can do. That's easy. And... One of my other points from last week, whatever, Will, Will took my sermon. <laughs> but we, we saw that Jesus on the Sabbath showed these people it's always a good time to obey God. The day doesn't matter. The time doesn't matter. The place doesn't matter. It's always a good time to obey God. When he tells you to do something, do it, right? He's going to do what he's going to do. So you can obey and join him. Or you can not obey and he'll do it anyway. You just won't get to experience that miraculous work. You won't get to be like Matthew and Simon, the zealot, knowing by experience who God is and what that miraculous power can do in your life and the life of others. So, let's recap, not recap, let's end it. 
Three things, Jesus brings his kingdom wherever he is. If it's in the synagogue or with sinners, at work, at worship, anywhere you are, he's there. He calls us to join him in his kingdom. We're to pray for and love others where we are or where he sends us. He might send us somewhere. He might not. That's okay. But he'll tell us. We need to obey what he says. When we join him, we get to see him do what only he can do. It sounds like a broken record. And I'm sorry if, I'm, if you guys think I'm saying a lot of the things that Will's already said. He's paying me handsomely for it. No, that's the word God has for us, guys. He brings his kingdom down. He calls us to join him, and then he does it. He does what he's going to do, and we get to see that. So, thank you, guys. Um, let's pray, and then do you have announcements, Will? Okay, sure. Yeah, you'll do them. I don't know what they are. All right. God, thank you so much for doing the things that only you can do and not expecting that of us. God, I pray that you would um, show us where you're working. God, help to open our eyes so that we can see you. I know there are lots of warnings in your scripture about keeping our eyes closed and then you letting, letting us stay blind. So God, I pray that you would help us to open our eyes. We want to see where you're working and we want to join you, God, because there's nothing like knowing your miraculous power in our lives. God, thank you for being amazing. God, and thank you uh, for being the first action hero. In your name we pray. Amen.